Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. Let's start with the news. Um, the main news I wanted to start with this week is about BT and EE. And we've talked in the past about BT trying to buy the mobile network EE for over just over twelve billion pounds, twelve point five billion pounds actually. That's quite a little bit over twelve. Yeah. And Although it doesn't it sound like been, it in the context of twelve billion pounds. It doesn't, does it? But it is. It is five hundred million quid, and it's been uh, it's been approved by the uh, regulatory bodies that govern such acquisitions for reasons of um, monopolies and uh, and fairness in in business and what have you. So BT is going to get control of EE. Now this is good news for a couple of reasons. For one, on the BT side, it gets to be a quad play provider of media. So that's fixed line, television, mobile telephone, and broadband, um, both uh, regular broadband and also fiber optic. So that makes BT, once again, a big player in the mobile and media spectrum, which is which is great. On the other hand, EE, there's questions over whether the brand EE, which I think was quite is, is quite a strong brand and has, has done very well for itself. and, and Given um, how young it, it is particularly you know it's not been around very long has it and mm. and it's it, done it, good it, things it, in that time it has done good things but that's the interesting that's the other good thing that i think about this is that regardless of the name ee ee became a good name because its product was good yes. you know one of the things that it always did much to the slight annoyance of people on tighter budgets is that it did provide a good service and it actually has for a year or so now, provided the backbone to BT's own mobile network, which is actually um, a quite compelling deal. If I just go over very briefly, have a quick look at the BT mobile plans now. For £25 a month, and you get five quid off if you've also got BT um, landline, you get 20 gigabytes of 4G data, unlimited access to BT Wi-Fi, which is pretty quite a lot of spots around country you also get unlimited minutes and unlimited texts plus a couple of bonuses for sign up so that is a pretty good deal the downside and the only reason why i didn't sign up for this um, myself was because you cannot tether uh. and you still currently cannot tether so having 20 gigabytes of data is fine if you're going to use all that on your phone but i tether my ipad pro and and my laptop to my phone a lot so that's no good whereas ee was always very flexible about that but was more expensive it did allow you to use lots of devices didn't um hold you back from doing that or using it as a, a bit of a work uh connection if you needed to and offered decent data packages on the top end but at a premium so my hope is that by the two brands coming together maybe we'll get a little bit of the bt affordability blended into the strength of ee's network which overall i think is great and, you know, I'm on Vodafone um, and, and I've been a happy customer of Vodafone in the three months I've been um, paying them since I joined three. But I have to say, I think this is going to be great for me because this is going to increase the pressure on Vodafone to really improve its um, its products, both in terms of um, speed and, and price. And um, I think that's great for, for all British customers. What say you, Monsieur Morris? I agree with you. And I am, I don't know, this this one excites me because um, unlike the proposed 302 deal, it doesn't 
remove one network from play. Uh, so, you know, obviously BT was never a huge, it, you know, mobile player or hasn't been since it sold, uh, you know, O2 all those years ago. Um, so to have it come back in and own E doesn't really bother me. I feel like it's such a big commitment that BT must be quite keen on building it up, keeping the, the strength of that brand. Well, I mean, they'll probably merge it into their own brand, but at least having, you know, it's quite widely accepted and EE wins every speed test on the planet, doesn't it, for, you know, 4G? It, it, it often does, but I have to say Vodafone, at least in in my experience recently, has been performing well. I've had that thing hit 80 megabits, mm. 80 megabit down and about 60 meg up That's good. In, in East London when I'm near the Bloomberg office, which is, is fantastic, and, and 3 never came close to it. BT is an interesting one because it's had such an interesting history as a network because originally there was BT Cellnet, and Cellnet launched a mobile network in something like the late 80s or very early 90s on analog and continued for a while and then then i think it was bought by well, telefonica they, they they made their own they made this new company called mmo2 and then mmo2 carried on for a while it was separate it was spun off from bt but it was still i think wholly owned and then um and then they sold it to telefonica after that and that's where the o2 brand then you know i mean it was called o2 at the time but it the a company name was mmo2 and it was stupid but that sale is widely considered and was at the time to be one of the biggest mistakes bt's ever made it was it was not a popular decision even back then they were just trying to shed non-related costs but it was profitable and i mean you know to be fair they sold it for quite a lot of money so i doubt they've really lost a huge amount in all this Mm. coming and going but also odd that they went and bought ee given that o2 is also on the market and i would have thought a simpler buy for them because o2 is just a mobile network EE has all this pretension of being a broadband company and a TV company and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that will probably be- end, honestly. Do I think, think so, because I, I just don't see why BT would want to compromise its own... Um, it, it's got its own very sort of well-established broadband product, hasn't it? Um, it has. You know, and, 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 and TV goes along with that it has that... I, I can't remember what it's called. Is it still BT Vision or is it something else? BT... But- there is BT yeah. Vision still. Um, so, you know, that that is a much more mature setup, I think, and obviously delivers quite a lot of pay content. So I think mm. EETV probably won't be anywhere near as profitable and will go away. I think they'll, they'll probably just mer- merge them together and, and, and brand them. I mean, there's a huge amount of crossover, I think, in those things. But it, it is interesting because now you've got BT Mobile that is competing with O2, which used to be BT Cellnet, and I just like the history there. That you've sort of—it's almost like the—it's—it's it's kind of like the um, uh, Miliband uh, brothers sort of growing up and ultimately competing <laughs> with each other um, for the the top table. But I mean, BT BT Cellnet, I think they were the first to have a data network in the UK at well, all, yeah. if not Europe or even worldwide. I and think, Cellnet around... was bought by BT, so I—I I mean, I I had Cellnet as my first mobile carrier um, back in mm. God knows when. Um, and so obviously I, I saw a whole load of change before I eventually gave up on it. But yeah, mm. it was good times. So what does this mean, we think, for people on either network? Well, I think for the time being, very little <clears throat> is going to change, pardon me. One of the things that has been at least semi-confirmed by the CEO of uh, BT, Gavin Patterson, he has said that EE is not immediately going to die as a brand. They, they do plan on, on continuing it for some time. 
And what I think is not going to happen, or at least I would be surprised if it did, is what happened when EE bought Orange and T-Mobile. Because the Orange and T-Mobile brands continued as 3G brands and 3G networks, each with their own sort of take on the market, while EE continued as the kind of the big daddy, the big 4G network. Now, I don't think it serves BT well to have both BT Mobile that serves a network that is based on the back of EE as well as EE, the network. It strikes me that they have at some point got to merge because it's uh, just too confusing otherwise. Yeah. But I don't think it will affect anyone in a negative way who's currently on a contract because at the, wor the worst case scenario is you'll have an option to leave if they significantly change your tariff and you and you tell them you're unhappy in time or b you'll just get the benefit of these two networks merging and get either a lower price or better data speeds or you know good lord maybe bt mobile customers will begin to tether perish the thought i know but either way i think this is great and it's you know we've we've now got um let's just pretend ee goes away you will have bt as a massive quad play 4g network you'll have virgin mobile as a quad play network albeit i think virgin's based on the back of is Virgin on the back of EE? Or are they three? Um, or maybe O2. I they're think an they're MVNO, three, so, yeah. Yeah, so they're based on the back of another network. And then, obviously, you've got Orange and T-Mobile as 3G uh, networks and three, of course, and, and Vodafone and O2. So still huge competition. And at a very exciting time for Europe because we're moving towards this single market economy where we're going to get rid of mobile roaming across Europe. So I think pretty a number of excellent reasons to be excited about this um i can't think of a major downside well actually there is one there is a there is an ongoing discussion with bt um about open reach which is the infrastructure um and that's quite interesting because obviously they're quite keen that bt doesn't have too much power and open reach charges everybody and it's widely hated because people see it as a way of bt making extra money personally i don't see the argument i, I think you know someone's got to own it and i suppose they would spin it off and into its own company but i suspect that would end up making things more expensive podcast at natelangson.com that is the uh the the inbox to which you can sling your thoughts and feelings on the back <laughs> of your finest carrier pigeon ian it's that time again we have to talk very briefly about an apple rumor simply because you and i are intrigued by said rumors this one is not particularly surprising but there is a strong rumor that a new ipad air tentatively titled ipad air 3 is due to be released or at least announced in march along with the iphone 5 se that we talked about i think last week and some new apple watch models um although i can't imagine we're going to see a radical redesign yet of the apple watch but the ipad air 3 now this is an interesting one because you and i were talking just before we started recording the podcast this week that we have both quite happily migrated to using iPad Pros and leaving the iPad Air 2s in the somewhat in the dust. Now I didn't for a long time. I had a I had a review unit, a loaner from Apple, and had it for a while and never even used it because I I just carried on using the iPad Air uh, 2 because that was the one that I liked. It's the one that I had um, bought by the comp by my work. And it just seemed like the most obvious thing to to use and abuse. But recently, I decided to give the iPad Air Pro another go. And I have to say, since I've started using it again, I've found that I very rarely use a laptop at all. And I, I, I keep finding myself coming back to just the quality of the screen 
and how close it is to the front of the glass. And it makes a huge difference when you're reading. And it's just something that I think combined with the fact that a lot more apps now have split screen support so you can run two apps side by side. It's just really calling into question what I need from a day-to-day -day computing device, even for work and for home, that the iPad Pro doesn't already offer. However, if they can cram the resolution of the iPad Pro, the four speakers, you know, the two on either side, and maybe the battery life and the processor into the iPad Air 3, I'm going to be extremely confused as to which device yeah. I need to plump for as my, as my actual device because the screen was really the real reason I wanted to move to the, to the Pro, um, and, but I stayed for the split screen support. But if I can get all of that in a smaller body, I actually think that could be quite exciting. And that's certainly what the rumours pertain to... Uh, that, that's what the rumours seem to suggest is going to come. There's also been some talk about um, support for the pencil. I said pen, but I meant pencil um, as well. And now, do, does that potentially mean that Apple's going to make the Air a mini iPad Pro? Now, I know that's slightly confusing, but the I think the real draw of the iPad Pro for sort of people with, who are artistically inclined has been the pencil gives them a lot of flexibility to do stuff that they can't do on a lot of other devices. Um, and if they can sort of bring that and the keyboard, which has really won me over to the yes. iPad Air, um, then I think they could be onto a winner. But they... I think the, iP the, the, the keyboard is, is, is brilliant. I actually don't use it. I bought a different Interesting. one. I bought a little Logitech wireless one because what I found it I, I preferred was using the iPad at an angle that I didn't also want to type at. For example, I would often sit on the sofa, kind of laying on my left-hand side, and I'd sort of have a, I'd prefer the keyboard to be on my lap while my eyes were pointing slightly left towards the screen. Right. I do not need to use a laptop now. Um, I, I've, I, I know that this isn't for everyone because I understand that there are a lot of people who do a lot more on their computers um, and who are very reliant on mice. But actually, if you think about what the mouse does, really, it's, it's just a way of moving around the screen. And you don't need to do that when you have a touch screen. I think Apple could probably adapt a mouse to work with the iPad quite easily. Um, I would think so, but that is not a very Apple thing to do, is it? Well, isn't it? I don't think so, personally. I mean, a Bluetooth mouse, you could easily pair it. It's, it is literally one, one change in the software, isn't it, really? Um, it, it, you could easily do it, and you could use the Magic Mouse, or you could even use that little trackpad they've got if you really wanted to, if they chose to support it. So The trackpad as well. I think, though, the, the key is that the, the thinking is that you, you need the software to be designed for touch, which is why shoving full-on Windows on a phone never really worked yeah. or never worked you need to come at it from the other way you need to design for touch but once you've designed for touch what you've basically done is designed for simplicity of interaction and if you just assume that your mouse is a finger there's a hell of a lot you could do on an ipad pro yeah with a mouse without it feeling weird or unusual at all and honestly I i'm really getting to the point where i think if they could if they did that there is no need for a laptop anymore, except for heavy lifting. I still edit and produce this podcast and do the web design on it. Yeah, if, if you think about it logically, actually, you could easily do that on the... Um, I mean, that's one thing you do need a mouse for. So um, the, the, the iPad Pro and, and probably all the iPads have more than enough power to do audio editing. They can do video editing to some extent. Yeah. I mean, you're limited somewhat by the 
but by the fact that you really need to stick to Apple's formats to do it. And this could be good. Apple recently had its earnings call. iPad sales are about 25% down uh, over this time last year, and it needs to do something this year to really bump up those sales. So whether that's getting cheaper models into schools by creating higher-end top models to kind of balance out the difference in costs, um, we don't know. Maybe there'll be a cheaper iPad Pro. Can't see that happening before the autumn, if ever, because that kind of defeats the point. But uh, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, check 9to5Mac or iPad Air 3 if you want to have a look at Mark's uh, full write-up. He's got quite a lot of detail in there. Something cropped up on V3 this week that I, I wanted to point out, which is that Arbor Networks published a security report, which it does annually. It's based on worldwide data from reports from uh, network operators around the world. And it showed that the world record, such as one may possibly consider this a world record, for DDoS attack data rates, bear with me people, I promise you this is interesting, um, has been broken and was broken rather in 2015. This is the amount of data that criminals, let's call them that for want of a better word, are throwing at networks in order to knock their servers offline. So this is the kind of thing you hear when a massive website or a bank or something is is hit by a huge distributed denial of service attack that takes their website, takes their system offline. Um, companies are putting huge amounts of money into defending against these things by having bigger service centers and more robust protection against these attacks. Um, but obviously the rise in computing power globally and cheap computing power has meant that more data can be thrown at their servers in order to knock them off. And this week, I saw a number that I'd never really seen before, which is the answer to the question, how much data do you need to throw at a server every second in order to knock it offline? Uh, the answer, it turns out, is about 500 gigabits per second. Wowzers. Um, so, yeah, so to put that into perspective, that's roughly, and I do mean roughly, about 50 gigabytes uh, being thrown at servers every single second which is just going to overwhelm the system and force it to, to to crash. And that was the highest. There were a number of uh, of these over the 400 megabits per, uh, gigabits per second mark uh, and quite a few in the two to 300, and obviously um, hundreds, if not thousands, under the 100 gigabits a second mark. But I just found it really interesting to see some numbers. Like this is the kind of, this these are the kinds of numbers that we're now seeing take these servers offline, 50 gigabytes uh, gigabits per second and the expectation is is that that's going to double this year so that's going to push us into the one terabit per second of, of data being thrown at servers to knock them offline this is significant stuff it's affected huge numbers of com uh, companies in the uk i think hsbc i believe this week or last week was knocked offline as a result of attacks similar to this did he, just did this number surprise you at all ian well i don't know really um i mean uh, i suppose you don't think about the amount of data that's being thrown around, really. I mean, I tend to, I tend to think of it more as um, I, I sort of assumed that it was more about requests. So um, more than the data being chucked, I thought it was more about the number of computers that were chucking it. But apparently, it is just a simple matter of maths. And if you make enough well, requests, it, or you know, put enough data over the pipe, then of course you flood it out for everyone, don't you? Exactly. And and a request is data. I mean, all everything that goes into a server is data. It's just yeah. bits. So it's it's enough requests and data to total 500 gigabits per second. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess I hadn't really sort of considered the actual number, but this is quite interesting. And it's also interesting, it almost gives you a picture of the internet, doesn't it, to say, well, this, you know, next year it'll be, you'll have to throw double that. 
Um, and it, it, it yeah. tells you huge things about what our data centers are handling and how much data we're talking about globally. Yeah, I mean, put this into context. In, uh, in 2004, it would have been around 8 gigabits per second uh, as, at a peak wow. for, a D, for a DDoS. In 2010, it was about 100 gigabits per second. So it's increased fivefold since 2010 to 500 gigabits per second. And to put that into context as well, you know, most people's broadband is probably somewhere around the 10 mega, megabits, and we're talking 500 gigabits mm. here. So just an ex, just gigantic amounts of data resulting from computers worldwide pooling their resource together to take even banks like HSBC offline this week. So one to keep an eye on everybody. And, um, you know, next time you see a stressed out sysadmin uh, walking out of a bank looking stressed maybe give him a crisp offer him a hug and <laughs> and say say it'll be okay it'll be okay right in uh, my teeth are of a very strange hue it's like i've bitten into one of the fantastic drummers in blue man group i have blue teeth uh, Ian, we're talking Bluetooth. Thank goodness. I've been waiting for this for, I don't know, uh, years. Bluetooth has had an interesting history. Um, about 10 years ago, I think, r- very roughly, I was reviewing Bluetooth headsets for uh, a website, CNET, in fact. And uh, they were all terrible, awful, absolutely abysmal. If you were, If you were trying to listen to music over Bluetooth, you might as well just do... I mean, basically anything else uh, within the same re- region of comfortability. You know, dysentery, punching yourself in the nose. Um, it was really a terrible experience. And I've never really recovered from that. To me, Bluetooth has been a very convenient way of transferring files, of connecting keyboards to iPads, and of, um, you know, using wireless headsets for, for phone calls and things. I've never, ever, up until about two weeks ago, ever considered bluetooth anything other than a bitter disappointment um named after i think a a dutch king um whose name was bluetooth in the 1600s or there thereabouts and then something amazing happened and what that was was i bought my girlfriend kate a pair of headphones and i've looked up this pair of headphones to find out which pair they were and they were bt zx 750 bn's and there's nothing particularly interesting about those headphones other than they cost about 130 quid and she really wanted them and I was pairing them just to see if they were working and I was well initially I was disappointed by the sound quality then I realized that her Spotify was set to just regular streaming <laughs> I then put it up to the higher level and then something very interesting happened I found myself to be very very impressed with how good these headphones were I knew they were pretty good ones because they were reasonably expensive and um but but I wasn't prepared for the fact that I genuinely thought, hang about, these sound quite good. Not just these are all right, they'll do for phone calls. Actually quite good. Then I tried them again and I agreed. Then I went down to Richer Sounds uh, around the corner from my office and tried a couple of other pairs and they were also equally good. And then I ended up buying a pair of um, AKGs. Ah, interesting. Uh, the the name slips my mind now, uh, but they were about the same price, so about £130. And I have now been using these for two or three weeks, and I adore them. I now look at a pair of cables 
for for headphones when I'm walking, and this is a key difference. I'm not talking about use at home. I'm talking about commutes, walking, cleaning the house, that sort of thing. And I just, you know, I basically, Ian, I want to spit on them. Now, uh, in home scenarios, there is no replacement for a good cable um, for various reasons. You can connect them to headphone amplifiers. The cables are thicker. The headphones are bigger. The drivers in the headphones are better. Everything about them is generally better. But for commuting, for traveling, for pairing between two or three different devices at one go, I mean, I'm surprised it's taken me this long because they have been a lot better than they used to be for quite some time now. But I was taken aback, frankly, and I wanted to put this on the podcast. I love the fact that, that you know, this has just suddenly happened to you. I mean, Bluetooth headphones have been pretty good since Aptex started, really. Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't make massive use of them, but that's purely because I don't really feel the need to. Uh, but like you, I, I find cables very annoying. They're, they're inconvenient. They mm. get in the way. I've got I've got um, cabled headphones on now and I keep catching the cable on my arm. And sooner or later, I'm going to pull the lead out the amp and then the speakers will start and then the podcast will sound horrible. So, yeah, I, I can see the definite advantages. Um, do you think that this revelation of yours might be something um have a relation to the fact that maybe Apple thinks the same way and that they will be dropping the headphone jack from the iPhone. Let me tell you why that answer is no. (laughs) I bought these headphones a couple of days before I saw the rumor about them going headphone cable free originally. So it is more than a couple of weeks, I admit. It's probably more like six weeks or something. Um, But it's quite some time, let's say a month. Let's say a month. You know, we're not going to beat each other up over the course of over a space of a couple of weeks, are we? No. What's a month between? What's a couple of weeks between friends? How long have we known each other in the in the the period of time that we've known each other? It's it's a well a a decade. I mean, it's a mere fragment, isn't it? It is a fragment. Um, but no, I mean that that does have a benefit. But there are still many scenarios where you do want cables. The latency I find is better with with cabling and and sound quality. If you're using a hi-fi system at home and you've invested in good audio quality then cabled headphones do make a huge, huge difference. They're not battery-powered. There are a number of reasons why they're better. But when you're on the go, one of the things that I had to let go of in my kind of hi-fi-obsessed way of being, which is to to like high-res audio and buying CDs and all this sort of thing, is that on the go, there's a great convenience. And I I ditched lossless audio on on the go, you know, a couple of years ago because... When you're traveling on the London Underground and you're walking, you are so the, the audio is already being muddied by the combined sound of people coughing or the trains on the track. And even if you put noise cancelling on, then yes, you're getting rid of that noise, but you're still not getting a pure sound. And there just comes a point where convenience of using things like a streaming cloud service that still has great sound quality, and now combining that with wireless audio, it's just, it's changed the game for me. And I I just find this whole scenario to be incredibly weird, because like you, I probably should have expected to have done this earlier. But I wanted to sort of throw it out there to people on the podcast and just get other people's views on Bluetooth in general. Yeah. You know, are you you against Bluetooth? Did you hear Bluetooth around 2006, 2007 and think... This is about as pleasant as listening to a bag of dogs being punched repeatedly. Bluetooth is one of those things like probably the Bluetooth that we have now, it it probably bears such little resemblance to the Bluetooth that started it all off. Like they've probably got nothing in common, really. 
Bluetooth now is based on similar standards to Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, I mean, really, it's it's not a massive surprise that things have got no. better. And and to be honest, Bluetooth may well go away as as things change. It it might become um, the case that we you know phones have one radio that does everything. Like it might be that when five G comes along, you know, we can have. Because I've spoken to Qualcomm about this, and and they've they sort of given me the nod and said, yeah, it's possible that. Wi-Fi at home could be replaced by 5G um, on on unlicensed spectrum. So you'd move 5G onto the old in, onto in around the the Wi-Fi thing, um, and then you know maybe if it's if it's power efficient enough, then maybe you could use it for uh, you know peripherals as well and have some headphones that use it. Who knows? I just I suspect that the more we can sort of bring all these technologies together, the the better we'll be. You know, with more bandwidth, they'll be available and stuff like that. So who knows? This is probably just one step before we get something even more amazing and that you can have lossless over. Indeed. Well, that's the downside here because although Bluetooth does now have better throughput, it's not going to do lossless over a standard Bluetooth protocol yet. There still needs to be some changes there. I actually looked into the Bluetooth protocol specifications on Apple's developer website just to have a look at how, you know, what kind of quality Apple... uh, says that Bluetooth needs to operate at in order to connect to its full Bluetooth mm. uh, hardware. And what it's actually doing is that it's passing through audio at about 256 kilobits. It's really not very much, a- is it? Over AAC. Well, no, no, it is in a sense. It's not anywhere close to lossless or, or Apple, um, you know, ALAC, Apple lossless audio codec, which would need to be, you know, at least up to sort of 1411 kilobits a second. This is still only 256, but it's AAC, it's 256. That's exactly the same as what Apple streams Apple Music at. So you're getting Apple Music coming down your your system at 256k AAC, and then it's just throwing that across Bluetooth, which is also AAC, into your ears. Now that's great, and that explains, well, it's part of the reason why Bluetooth sounds good, is that you are getting the same audio bitrate on the same codec as you're getting it onto your phone in the first place. So it's great, and it's a start, but I agree, for lossless, we need to go a little bit further. And when that happens, because Apple is highly likely, I'm sure, in the future to release you know, iTunes Plus again, but call it iTunes Plus with a plus symbol, and it'll be like a lossless, high-res audio format, and they'll have some funky Wi-Fi thing that supports lossless audio wireless protocols, and that will happen down the line. But for now... I'm just genuinely quite impressed with where Bluetooth audio is. And um, I would welcome people's views on this. And have you had a similar revelation to me about Bluetooth or wireless audio? What are your thoughts? Am I wrong? Have I insulted your knowledge um, with my own lack thereof? Um, Let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. Ian. Yes, Nate. I have nothing else to add on this topic. Oh, thank goodness for that. That was a bit of a rant. <laughs> it was worth doing. It just made me chuckle. Nate comes to Bluetooth and there's a podcast feature about it. <laughs> you know when you know, when you know when somebody sort of hovers a bag of pepper under your nostrils and you, <laughs> yeah, and you yeah, and you, you just sort of feel for a, a little while like yes. like a, a massive sneeze is building up, and then you the do best feeling and the worst feeling simultaneously. Yes, well, when it goes away. But the, the what I was trying to get across in this example is when somebody's dangling the aforementioned bag of pepper under your nose and just for a while it's building up and it's building up but suddenly you just need to burst 
and you just need to flood the world with your sneasel power, if that is indeed a term, which obviously it isn't. Um, that's what I had to do just then with Bluetooth. So, yes. Thank you for letting me sneeze in your <laughs> in your ears. Oh my god. I'm deeply and appreciative. There we go. That's it for the podcast. No one is ever going to listen ever again. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. 